millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Kia ora and welcome back to the new Tuesday podcast with me, Tim Batt. This series features a bunch of chats I was lucky enough to have with the people who made this brilliant new comedy. New Tuesday is in cinemas in New Zealand from June 16th and in Australia from June 23rd. It'll be available on streaming platforms soon too. Luke Buddha is a brilliant New Zealand musician who's not just a stunning solo artist, he's also one-sixth of the Phoenix Foundation and one-third of Monica, the trio that's won awards for their original music on movies like Taika Waititi's Boy, Hunt for the Wilder People and Eagle vs. Shark. Can you, can you hear me now? I certainly can. Uh, well, then that's fine. I'm, I'm, no, I'm not even hearing myself now, so it's fine. Oh, cool. I, just, okay. I, I, realized, I realized I'm supposed to be an audio professional so I can actually supposedly work these problems out. This, this actually fucked me up once. I was supposed to do a live to air on BFBFM from my garage and it just... Were you I doing a session? Do, yeah, yeah, live on air on the drive show. But in the end, I just I recorded the songs live, sent them to them, and then we had an interview just on the phone. I think I'm going to include this on the podcast. So for context, everyone, we're using a, a non-regular online chat platform to, to conduct this um, conversation and it's wreaking havoc with the tech, but we've got there. Yes, we have. Two audio professionals trying to troubleshoot. Luke, how the heck are you? Last time I saw you was at the Tate Music Prize Awards. How was the rest of your evening? Yes, it was very fun. Thank you for asking. You know, I got uh, I got drunk at a bar with some friends. I've been taking it pretty easy this year. Very deliberate choice to take it easy after the alcoholic excesses of lockdown, etc. And I was just like, okay, this has got to chill out now. But, you know... Um, Tell me about your lockdown. Oh, God, it was the same as everyone else's, wasn't it? It sounds drunker, your one. I, do you reckon? I reckon most people's lockdowns were pretty drunken. Um, at least I've got this, like, garage studio to get away to. And we did more family walks during that that first lockdown than we ever have before or after put together. So that was nice. Like every day, that was the rule with the with the kids. You can pretty much do whatever the hell you want, but at, every afternoon we're going for a big walk because otherwise it's just too unhealthy. Look, I'm I'm talking to you in this context because you are one third of Monica who yep. scored Nude Tuesday. Well, okay, hang on, hang on. We actually okay. Yeah, so we didn't actually score it. There's two. Cam Ballantyne scored it, but what they also needed, they needed some additional stuff. And so what we did is we provided the lovingly recreated renditions of the classic hits in the language of the film. So, which was Road to Nowhere, Time of the Season, and Sea of Love. 
And then, of course, that was quite fun. So we ended up making up some like weird jams with Bjorg, um, you know, who's Jermaine's character. And he, he came and freestyled the language over the top. So, yeah, so we didn't actually do this. We didn't actually do the score. Right. This is good and important clarification. The the songs, particularly the Talking Head song, which kicks off um, very early on in the film, like mm-hmm. there's such cool emotive songs that people are so familiar with. And as soon as the first few bars of Road to Nowhere started playing, you know, my mind kind of goes into karaoke mode and I go to sing along and then it hits in this. I don't, I, I'm sort of loath to call it gibberish now because I had a chat to the person who guided all the actors through the training of the speech the language designer exactly so gibberish to me feels like it's a bit of a throwaway but there was actually a lot of like care and attention put into this new tuesday language yeah so she well exactly i mean she translated the songs right and again it's not actually a language but there are rules um and there are particular ways of pronouncing things like like vowels and they've gone for definitely they've gone for a north european you know scandinavian vibe which i think is one of the few safe ways that they could have gone um <laughs> in, in terms of having like a in terms of it not not feeling too problematic sure, i guess sure yeah and she did a you know an extremely good job she followed all the syllab- syllabic pattern or whatever um it's a very interesting to sing. So I sung Road to Nowhere, and then actually Reb, Reb Fountain came and she sang sort of backing vocals on all on both Road to Nowhere and Time of the Season, and she did the lead vocal on Sea of Love. But one of the interesting things about languages, so I, I speak English and Polish. A thing that I've noticed is my voice will change pitch and volume uh, when I change languages. So if I start speaking Polish, I generally speak faster and louder and more intensely. And I definitely, I hear it in my mum. Like she speaks English, it's way slower and lower. And then when she goes to Polish, it's like higher and faster. Huh. And so it was quite interesting singing the songs in the language of the film because they feel pretty different. I mean, they're identifiable. Even though it's a very familiar song, you sort of had to relearn how to pitch it, and by how to pitch it, I don't mean the pitch. I just mean how to how to do it. You know. Where did your default voice go to for the new Tuesday language? Could you feel yourself kind of going up an octave, down an octave, faster, louder, quieter? I just thought it sounded a bit more nasal than I'd like. <laughs> is the main is my main thing? I was like, hmm, I feel like I'm relaxed. But when I'm listening to it, I'm not sure if I am. But I mean, it sounds fine. But I was, you know, I was obsessing, of course, because because you sort of knew as well that like potentially David Byrne's actually going to hear it. So it was like, oh, I better do a good job. I better do at least a semi-professional standard of this. And it's. Did you know that it's getting released? Yeah. Yeah, we well, we've actually done a little bit more work to it when we when we found out that it was going to be on the soundtrack. We kind of did another um, pass of mixing. Sometimes when you're doing you know work for a film, you're working to a to a deadline and you're trying to get things a- across the line, and then they work in the film, so it's fine. And then you're kind of like, oh, it's going to go on 
somewhere where people can do a repeated listening. So let's just do another pass. And, you know, we just made a few things sound a little bit more juicy. So, yeah, I think it'll be, yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what, what, what people think of it outside of the context of the film, like whether it works for people as something to listen to. It could go down as a, another one of Karen's legendary film soundtracks. Pulp Fiction, Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet in, in Now New Tuesday. Yeah, well, we only aim for the top, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But this is interesting. I wanted to ask you about this. You sort of touched on the fact that when you're doing music and soundtracking for television and film, there's you know obviously some restrictions through the production. There's timelines you've got to hit. Um, so Monica is the, the, the group, the collective, do you call it a band? Nah, not really. I don't know what we call it. Well, that was going to be my first question. So it's you and Conrad and, um, Samuel from the Phoenix Foundation. Yes. It's just the three of you, right? Yeah. And Monica has been specifically set up so that you guys can crack through some music work for film and television. And you've done... Lots of incredible films, notably for a lot of Taika's movies over the years. Yes. And also um, possibly the greatest Christmas album well, ever, really. Yeah, Merry Krautmas. So that's on Spotify. You should check check that out. I'm just going to shamelessly plug plug our Kraftwerk-style Christmas album. Have, you, have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas by Monica is worth your time year-round. It is just a gorgeous, warm... Moogie, yeah, Moogie, yeah, yeah. synthesizer. I love that tone so much. Mm. I love a synth. I love a moog. Um, okay, so anyway, can you tell me a bit about the differences between making music for a film or, or a piece of television versus for yourself, either your band, you as a solo artist? How's it different? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, the most obvious thing is, I guess, that you are not, you're not just indulging your own whims. You know. Um, you you are working with other people who ultimately have a big say in it, you know, the director, the producer. Um, so those things are, are very are, are different. You know, it's a very different skill or it's a very different requirement. Like, I think that people don't realise how much emotion or the music brings to film and TV often it's like you know why you're feeling afraid now while this person's just walking through a house is just because of the music do you know why you're feeling like something exciting's about to happen it's because of the music yo um do you know why you're crying do you know why you're crying it's because well it's also because of the tears the crocodile tears of the actors but anyway um so uh, what am I trying to say? It doesn't necessarily have to be an all-encompassing musical offering, right? It can be such a small mm. thing when it's score. It can be like somebody tapping a piece of metal with a stick um, with a large reverb can be the score for a scene, you know? It sounds, it sounds to me like you've got a scene and you've got an objective, is the person who's creating the sort of audio underpinning to carry the emotion of that scene. Yes. Whereas when you're making music for yourself as a solo artist or in a band, 
you don't know what your mission is really except to make a great track. So you've got like a hundred different goals. Yeah. Whereas in film and television, you've kind of got one goal, which is achieve this mood, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. When you're making music that is your own music, I think it's always the best when you're just amusing yourself. And then, you know, because once you start thinking about what, what other people might think about, I mean, what's the point of that really? It's interesting, the film stuff, like um, there are many different approaches. For example, when uh, whenever we've worked with Taika, he prefers, at least in the movies that, that we worked on, he preferred a less, less sculpted sound. So it was just finding a piece of music that had the right sort of mood that would kind of go along behind the scene, as opposed to uh, we've done some cartoon work where you are literally hitting every beat that that happens fat characters walking along so the tuba goes bomb 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 the fat character falls over you know what i mean it's like oh someone got punched boom boom and every note or every beat of the scene is punctuated by by music character feels sad for a second music goes sad and you know cartoons are so schizophrenic we did this cartoon called skylanders on netflix and that was like composer school, you know, because it's like, oh, this scene is 30 seconds long and there's a fight and then someone cries and then someone laughs and then they triumphantly fly away. So in 30 seconds, you've got to go like... You know, and somehow make it work so that people aren't noticing that you're going through all these different things. That sounds really hard. Mm, well, both have their challenges, right? Because at least at least when you're doing that, it's very simple. What you're going for is simple because you just go, there's that beat, there's that beat. Whereas if you're, um, for example, the scene in Hunt for the Wilder People where Ricky um, burns the barn down and then goes off into the forest. So like in the context of the movie, like a pivotal scene where he finally decides he's going to go off into the bush. We must have done about 20 versions of that, just searching for a vibe and not distract but sort of support. It's almost like in those movies anyway, Tucker didn't sort of want the music to be directing the emotion so much but just be creating a mood that allowed the scene to play out. It's just a different challenge, right? For New Tuesday, what was the direction that you received from the filmmakers and did that come from... Jackie and Aman, or um, did that come from Karen, the music supervisor, or did that come from Perry, the the linguist, well, uh, language <clears throat> creator? Well, you got to remember that in that we had a very specific task, which was recreate the hits and recreate them. We, I think that they didn't really specify, but we, when we heard the context, which is that they're just the hits. They're just these hits, but just in that world, we went, well, let's go very, let's go quite dry, like as in let's do a, a faithful recreation as much as we can, which was just like, which was, again, was just like a kind of a cool musical exercise to go, okay, now I'm going to listen to Road to Nowhere. I'm going to try and recreate it. And of course, it doesn't sound just, just like it, but I think it sounds enough like it that people go, oh, this is Road to Nowhere. And oh, this is time of the season. Um, and then I think it was like um, randomly there may have been an, a, a message from Jermaine to Sam that was like, oh, hey, maybe we might need a bit of like 
meditation, sex meditation music for this scene. And so we had a little look around for some for some demos and shit. So so there's like four, I think, original tracks, uh, which are very quiet in the film, but I kinda it's kinda like my favorite stuff because it's it's reasonably rogue, mostly Conrad's kind of demos. He's got like, I don't know, a million unfinished tracks on his computer. He's one of those people. Um, and then Jermaine just came and, you know, ripped out some hilarious takes, uh, you know, zixed, mm, over some smooth beats. And um, it brings me joy listening to that music. It's very unstressful. In my head, I've got this beautiful picture of Jermaine coming around potentially to your um, garage studio and you just sort of selecting tracks, chucking them on. He's got the headphones on, he's in front of a mic and he's just vibing, taking the language and just th- throwing out some bars that he's improvising. Is that how it went? Yeah, well, he went to Sam's garage because Sam's garage is three times the size of my garage, so it's a bit more comfortable for more people. But yeah, that's that, that's pretty much it. I think we had like five tracks and we're like, let's just see how it goes. And uh, he also brought, I don't know if you know this about Jermaine, but he can play the jazz flute. I didn't know that. Yeah, there you go. Write that. Put that on his Wikipedia. Um, and so he he brought his flute and he did a little bit of sexy flute playing as well. I find it so funny that he keeps portraying these characters who are like, not like hypersexual, but mysterious men of sex. I don't. He's pretty bloody good at that kind of character though, isn't he? Like, Yeah. It's it in him. It's clearly in him. Like he is somewhere deep inside. He is a sex guru. Oh my god! <laughs> As we're speaking right now, the movie is just about to come out. Have you seen it? How how much of it do you know about? Well, we watched a cut, so I haven't seen the finished film, but we watched what I assume is the is the locked cut. But what is interesting about the film is I've already seen snippets in the trailer and the subtitles were different to what we saw, right? Yeah. Because someone else wrote wrote the, the English subtitles. Um, when I watched the film, I was absolutely delighted by it. I totally, I mean, it's my kind of thing. So I just, I was just all in from the get-go. And one thing that I found interesting about it, and it, maybe it speaks more to my own um, snobbery than anything else, and also to preface this statement with I am a, you know, I make mu- music and art in New Zealand. So it's like this funny internalized thing because I think that if they'd been speaking in an English and New Zealand accents, it wouldn't have felt as mystical and magical as it does. And I think that the fact that they're speaking a language which makes it like a foreign film in every single country on earth is just as such I think the fact that it's such a simple idea yet they've pulled it off with a plum um yeah I think it's a great film me too I can only assume that the finished product is going to be even even better you know once all the score is there because I didn't hear the score um I think Sam heard some of the score that Cam Ballantyne did and said oh the score's bloody great so it's very beautiful and it's very varied as well. Cam's done right. like there's a lot of different instrumentation and it's um cool. It's, yeah, gone in a lot of different directions. It's really cool. And I hope that some of that makes it on the soundtrack as well. Like that it's a full package of the original 
um, work that's uh, that's gone on for the film. Yeah, I hope so too. And my my very last question, which in retrospect I probably should have asked earlier, um, did you feel any intimidation uh, taking on these these big tracks from the zombies and? Talking Heads, etc. And and you've done like because you recently covered Simon and Garfunkel as well. Like, do you ever get sort of overworked up about taking on these big beloved bits of music? No, because I think that uh, I I mean perhaps sometimes there's there's a moment, but my honest feeling is that people need to be way less fucking precious anyway. And I think with music, I mean, I sometimes, you know, I sometimes play in a funny, fun covers band for friends' weddings. And the way I feel about music at that point is it's just like I'm a conduit for these notes that someone else has written and I'm just putting them out. And, you know, people at this wedding are having a fun time dancing to it. And it's kind of an, there's a, an egoless thing there where you just kind of, and, and I, I sort of feel like a, like, it's not that I, I think that it's fine to disrespect things, but I also feel like maybe I have a different idea of what disrespecting something means than other people do or something. I don't know. No, I don't feel that daunted because I personally, when I hear someone's cover version or when I hear someone having done something crazy with a piece of music or whatever, I I never feel, or I think I really feel offended. I might not think it's that great, but I'm like, oh, cool. Someone's done that with that. Oh, well, they gave, you know, that was cool. I don't feel precious about that shit. And so therefore, if other people feel precious about it, I guess it's their problem. I don't know. Yeah, I love that. That's um mm. that's really healthy and probably way more accurate. Oh my god, I'm just rambling now. But in terms of music, I I, I think I because I can take a wide variety of music of different skills and sounds or whatever, I'm less concerned about what people are thinking about that. Because I'm generally I think I'm generally quite safe in my own interp- like I'm quite comfortable in the way I feel about it, maybe. I don't know, man. I'm ranting at you. You think you are, but I actually think that you're hitting on the um, a lot of the themes of the film, which is um, generating and finding a comfortability in your own skin. So, in my mind, this is all very connected to the film and a beautiful poetic answer to the question. Mm. And to wrap up, Luke, I would like to say I loved the tracks. I love what you've done on the movie. I'm going to buy the album. I'm really hoping that it gets released on vinyl, actually, because I quite like to own this as a record so that no rights issues in the future can rob it from my Spotify library and I have it forever. Um, And also, you know, while I'm here, congratulations on your most recent album because it's really beautiful work. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Bye, Luke. See ya, thanks for having me, and um, I also really enjoyed the way we just very calmly dealt with the technical issues at the start. Give yourself a pat on the back, I reckon. Thanks for listening to this episode of the New Tuesday podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. New Tuesday is in cinemas in New Zealand and Australia from mid-June, and will be coming to streaming platforms soon. The New Tuesday podcast was brought to you by Film Queenstown Lakes and the New Zealand and Australian film distributors Madman Entertainment. It was produced, hosted and edited by me, Tim Bad, and co-produced by Courtney Mayhew and Tyler Hislop. The music in this series are original compositions by Cam Ballantyne and covers from Monica, which appear in the new Tuesday soundtrack available soon. Or maybe now, I 
don't know when you're listening to this. The series is also supported by Flix. Download the Flix app to find new Tuesday session times near you and get tickets. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.